0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi there, and welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I work in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been living here since the early 90s. I'm delighted and honored that you're here. I started podcasting back over three years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to not only those who might already be interested in psychological or emotional issues, might even be in therapy. To those of you who might have been initially now diagnosed with something that you want more information about or you're a little scared about or anxious about, and even to those of you who might feel as if you would never darken the door of a therapist, but you're interested in what someone like me might have to say. Now, self-work isn't therapy, but hopefully in this podcast, you'll get a sense of what therapy could feel like, or at least what kind of information you might hear there. In the last two or three weeks, I've done some wonderful interviews. I'm so delighted that some of my ideas about perfectly hidden depression, a topic I've written a book about, people are asking questions and want to know more. If you're interested, you can jump over to my Facebook page where I am featuring those interviews. That's facebook.com slash Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'd love to have you there. Different people are interested in different aspects of perfectly hidden depression, so the interviews are very different. But I did want to mention that you could go over there just to check it out. Today, we are going to be talking more about perfectly hidden depression because there are certain psychiatric diagnoses that may be co-occurring with perfectly hidden depression or could actually be confused with it. The last thing I want as a clinician and just as a person is for someone to label themselves PhD or identify with perfectly hidden depression and then stop. When they do have more going on than that and need to recognize that they're experiencing a different kind of psychological issue, that it would benefit them to understand. These diagnoses could be bipolar 2 disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and even borderline personality disorder. I hope maybe today we can add some clarity to that discussion. Today's listener email, which is a regular feature of self-work because I love hearing from y'all is more of a comment than a question because it addresses my frequent use of other experts' ideas and research on self-work. Since I don't do interviews here, I certainly want you to hear from people that I respect in the field, and the listener noted the above and had a few comments about it. So we'll talk about that. So sit back, or if you're driving, (laughs) pay attention, but I hope that this topic clears up what exactly perfectly hidden depression is and what it is not. I started writing about perfectly hidden depression actually back in 2014, and the book didn't come out until November of 2019, so that's a lot of writing. And I've had several people be quite angry and even accusing about my description of the characteristics or traits of perfectly hidden depression. Some people that have strongly identified with the Myers-Briggs classifications believe that I'm pathologizing a certain category. It's a little more rare. Called INFJ. Now, those of you who don't know anything about the Myers Briggs will kind of go, Well, what in the heck is an INFJ? I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to know about the Myers Briggs. It's basically a personality test that you can take that shows what kinds of issues you may have on the introversion, extroversion scale, that kind of thing. Are you a feeler or an analyzer? It's quite popular. And then I've also had some people who are Enneagram followers who have similar questions. Am I pathologizing a certain category of the Enneagram? First, let me say I'm not pathologizing anyone. In fact, I've struggled a bit with people saying that if you feel inner sadness, that there should be a stigma attached to that. I'm not an expert on the Myers-Briggs nor the Enneagram, but I'd actually love to hear from those of you who might want to discuss either one of those with me respectfully. I've just had to cut some conversations off because they were getting very blaming. I've said often that I don't really care whether people adopt the identity or title or label of perfectly hidden depression. I want them to hear the message underneath the words, and that is That if you're hiding depression, if you're hiding trauma, if you're suppressing emotions that are hard to feel and you don't even know how to connect at all, then that is a problem. But perfectly hidden depression is certainly not a gospel by any means. So we're starting off this podcast with an invitation to those of you who might know a lot about the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. And I would love to see how you would compare it with my work on perfectly hidden depression. So you can email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com, and we'll all learn together. However, as I was writing the book on perfectly hidden depression, I fought for a chapter. The publishers were a little dubious. They thought it might be a little too clinical. The chapter that I fought for would talk about how it was important to distinguish between a syndrome of perfectly hidden depression, these behaviors and beliefs that tend to fall together, and actual psychiatric disorders that might share several traits with PhD other than depression itself, because the presence of these psychiatric diagnoses could be essential to recognize and treat. If you read Perfectly Hidden Depression or you go, oh, that's me, you might just underestimate the importance of these other issues. And that, as a clinician, as a human being, I don't want to see that happen. First, let's talk about bipolar 2 disorder. And if you want to know exactly what that is, I'll have a link to the definition in the show notes. Basically, it's a cyclic disorder, meaning that you can experience frequent unexplained mood shifts moving from being hyped up and full of energy into a more depressive episode. And in bipolar 2, rather than the shifts being extremely dramatic, they are more subtle and have more to do with anxiety and agitation. I have not included bipolar 1 disorder in this list of disorders that might be confused with perfectly hidden depression because its symptoms are more dramatic and are not as likely to be seen as only perfectly hidden depression. But if you're someone who can get an incredible amount accomplished, you have oodles of energy a lot, you have problems turning your mind off and you struggle with anxiety, is that perfectly hidden depression or the more energetic stage of bipolar 2 disorder? I often use stories about my own life to lend some perspective, and I'll share one now. Around the time of my second divorce, I sought the help of a psychiatrist for panic attacks. Looking back on it, he really wasn't very capable, and I didn't remain under his care for very long, but he envied my intense energetic work ethic, my seeming ability to focus and detach from emotional pain, and I could juggle 14 balls all at once as hypomania. He thought I had bipolar 2 disorder, and he described lithium, a drug that is a mood stabilizer. Well, after I dragged around for a week or two practically comatose, we figured out the doctor was quite wrong. I didn't have hypomania. What I was struggling with was shame and grief, expertly covered up by perfectionism. So if intensely focusing on tasks getting done is part of your nature, and like me in graduate school, you might appear to be an overdrive. We have to look at that. There's little relaxation or hang time in either perfectly hidden depression or this hypomanic stage of bipolar 2. Yet, someone with bipolar 2 disorder may experience an over-the-top energy, tinged with anxiety and agitation, and then slide into a sadness or depression. The swing is quite noticeable to others and affects that person's daily functioning. Those with perfectly hidden depression don't swing into obvious depression, nor do they ever feel grandiose. In fact, neither of those feelings would even be allowed. But if you identify with some kind of cycle, if you can see that your moods go up and down a lot, then please seek out a mental health professional so you can determine these distinctions. Just educate yourself. And seek help because you can identify with perfectly hidden depression and still have some bipolar 2 traits. Now let's talk about perfectly hidden depression and its relationship with anxiety disorders. You know, most of us can easily reveal minor worries or anxieties. Maybe you'll say, I'm nervous about this interview or I have to lose five pounds before we go to the beach. (laughs) Yet a true anxiety disorder is much more burdensome. And there are many types But two that could be confused with perfectly hidden depression are Generalized Anxiety Disorder and Obsessive-Compulsive Disorder. First, let's talk about Generalized Anxiety Disorder. The feature it shares with perfectly hidden depression is worry. Those that suffer with severe Generalized Anxiety Disorder can complain frequently of being able to visualize traumatic things happening, They may actually feel as if these visions are accurately predicting violence. That immense danger is not just a potential, but a reality. It's as if they can be watching a video in their head that they don't know how to shut off. You can see that this very difficult problem is not part of the perfectly hidden depression syndrome. But what generalized anxiety disorder does share with PhD is this prevalence of worry. The author Reed Wilson, who I admire so greatly, discusses the worry of Generalized Anxiety Disorder in his book, Don't Panic, and I quote, With Generalized Anxiety Disorder, panic is not the dominant feature. Over 90% of them worry about minor events throughout the day. Will I fail in this work setting? Are they going to accept me? I'm afraid my kids are going to be harmed. What if one day I can't pay the mortgage? Those with Generalized Anxiety Disorder focus more on their inability to cope with external events. Perhaps you can see a difference here between the worry of generalized anxiety disorder and the worry that's part of perfectly hidden depression. In the latter, your worry is much more likely to be centered on if you're going to be exposed or are you going to lose control of yourself or your surroundings. You feel very confident in your ability to handle stress or external pressure. You just wonder if someone's going to figure you out. You worry about feeling out of control. In fact, Handling stress and external pressure is something you seem to do perfectly, whereas people with generalized anxiety disorder don't look like they're in control at all, or likely not to. But there's another important difference between generalized anxiety disorder and perfectly hidden depression. Those with GAD can't hide their anxiety from the world. They're known as worriers and may constantly advise others of danger. Worry invades their thinking to the point that they often struggle to function and may even isolate themselves from the world. With PhD, you hide your anxiety as best you can and look as if you're coping very well. As someone who identifies with PhD put it, I might be worried, but I'd look to others as if I had things in the bag. So the basic difference is, if you allow others to see your anxiety, you may want to look into the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. Now let's talk about obsessive-compulsive disorder. Obsessions are recurrent and persistent thoughts or urges or images that are experienced as intrusive and unwanted and cause anxiety. You may attempt to suppress such thoughts or neutralize them by compulsively performing some kind of act. Praying, counting, silently repeating words, washing, checking. Again, all of this is to decrease anxiety. If you have OCD, you may consistently need to make lists for everything, have repetitive rituals that you're compelled to do, struggle with being flexible, count objects around you obsessively, or have to have your surroundings so scrupulously clean that you're up at 2 a.m. mopping the kitchen floor. Brittany, who strongly identified with perfectly hidden depression, but also had some OCD traits, felt compelled to keep a highly detailed daily calendar. It was jam-packed, filled with post-it notes and tabs, and almost indecipherable to anyone else but Brittany. She was embarrassed to show it to me and worked on cleaning it up before she did. So again, some OCD traits may go along hand-in-hand with perfectly hidden depression, But certainly not all people with perfectly hidden depression have obsessive-compulsive traits. So you might want to check that out. Remember, you're not borrowing trouble. You're making sure you understand and receive the help you need. You want to rule out what isn't there, but pay attention to what is. Now we get to a distinction that's just a little more complicated, We're going to talk about borderline personality disorder. One of the chief characteristics of borderline personality disorder, which we'll call BPD, is a life ruled by intense, impulsive, and unstable emotions. Those who have BPD have lives filled with emotional chaos, lots of dramatic ups and downs. They reveal self-destructive tendencies, suicide attempts, and an immense fear of abandonment. What I found was that many people who reached out to me during these years of writing about perfectly hidden depression were describing borderline personality disorder. But why would someone with borderline personality disorder identify with perfectly hidden depression? From my work with patients who struggle with BPD, they often describe feeling as if there's a dark, very empty part of themselves, a part that's ultimately filled with despair, loneliness, self-loathing, or rage, or all of the above. One patient, in fact, called it, it's a black hole that tries to suck any goodness out of my life. You can imagine that this dark, empty part of themselves can cross over with or seem similar to the hidden self that I write about with perfectly hidden depression. Another patient with borderline personality disorder said, perfectly hidden depression is exactly how I feel. I hide all the time. I can be two people at once. In fact, Christine Ann Lawson, in her outstanding book on mothers with borderline personality disorder called Understanding the Borderline Mother, describes this borderline duality. She states that recognizing someone with BPD can be difficult because they can seem normal in non-intimate relationships. They have different external or public personalities. And I quote, they function well in structured environments and in specific roles. Now, some of this sounds very similar to perfectly hidden depression, but what drives this behavior is quite different. From my perspective, the dynamics of perfectly hidden depression and borderline personality disorder should be considered as on opposing emotional poles. In perfectly hidden depression, intellectualization and overanalyzing tightly ruled behavior whereas someone with borderline personality disorder is governed by dramatic emotions and impulsivity. So sadly and happily, they're not the same. So if you see yourself in the criteria for borderline personality disorder, it's essential that you seek help. There are specific treatment regimens, such as dialectical behavior therapy, that can be highly effective with hard work and you can develop a more stable life. So you might see yourself in perfectly hidden depression, but if you're highly impulsive or you're extremely intense and dramatic and you fear abandonment, you might want to look in to borderline personality disorder. Why am I talking about this? Because it's so important, again, I want to stress as I did in the introduction, that you want to see if you qualify for any of these separate psychiatric diagnoses. If you do, you can make an appointment with your family doctor, a psychiatrist, or a therapist, someone with whom you can discuss your symptoms objectively. You don't want to make the mistake of not paying attention, but you also don't want to hyperanalyze everything so that you unintentionally ramp up concern where it doesn't need to exist. I'm laughing because in graduate school, as we studied the diagnostic manual, so many of us said, oh, well, I've done that. And that maybe that's me. <laughs> so there's a little of us in so many of these diagnoses. But you want to make sure you're covering all the bases. That's why I wanted this information in the book. And I fought for it and New Harbinger said, sure, why not? You're the expert. So please take care. And if you find yourself in any of those diagnostic labels, then go talk to someone. Our listener email is short and sweet this week and is actually more of a comment than a question. She says, I was just listening to your latest podcast and noticed something. You often quote authors, speakers, and famous people. It really shows us that you are open to learning from others and willing to share the mental health stage with other professionals. It shows how much you yearn for knowledge and respect others. I also like how you don't have the know-it-all perspective that a lot of counselors, psychologists have. Thank you for what you do and for stepping out years ago to start a podcast. Thank you for your honesty about panic, empty nest, your relationship with your mother. It was so helpful to me. I respect how you can talk about it now without tears, over the air at least. <laughs> and it gives me hope that after my mother passes, I too can get to a place of peace. Thank you again. So here's my answer. Well, thank you for saying these kind words. I certainly don't know everything, nor want to be seen as such, and boy, is that ever true. I learn with every podcast I produce, so I'm glad that comes across. And if my personal story has been helpful, then that's all the better. As far as my tears go, or no tears, believe me, I've shed many of them. I remember a therapist asked me once, what would it be like if your life was happier than your mother's? My immediate answer at the time was, No, I wouldn't want that. That would feel wrong, and that's exactly how I felt. I was so protective of her. I wanted her so much to be happy and to be anxiety-free that I would have done anything at that point in my life to make that so. But what I learned was I couldn't control my own life sometimes, and I certainly couldn't control my mom's. And although I grew up feeling responsible for her happiness, that was not a fair expectation. Maybe it was my perception more than hers, Maybe I had it wrong, but that was my perception. I wish she had been happier, and that will be always sad for me. So thank you for your comments, as we all learn together. Thank you so much for being here today on Self Work. I hope this discussion about some of the more intricate things about perfectly hidden depression has been helpful to you to make distinct what are other psychiatric problems and perfectly hidden depression. As I work more and more with people who are seeking me out as a therapist because they feel as if they identify with perfectly hidden depression, I'm learning just how hard it can be to actually learn how to connect with painful emotions. So the more I learn, I will pass that on to you. I want to thank those of you who have written reviews about the book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, on Amazon. I have almost 40 reviews right now. I would love for that in another three months to be 100. (laughs) That would really say a lot to the literary community about what my book is meaning to other people. So if you are reading it or have read it, please ramp up your courage. You could even do it anonymously. And leave a review for me on Amazon. I would be so very grateful. And of course, to those of you who are leading reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to self-work, thank you so much. The most recent one said, I love this podcast. The lessons are concise and provide actionable steps. Her voice is soothing. Place this podcast in your rotation. Only 20 minutes a day and you'll see a change in your personal development. Wow, thank you. I'm glad my voice is soothing. I keep telling my husband that it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Thank you all so much for your kind words and your constructive criticism. I've had some of it, and I've tried to incorporate those criticisms into the way I produce the podcast. There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me. You can email me at AskDrMargaret at com. You can subscribe to my website, which is DrMargaretRutherford.com, and if you do, you'll get a newsletter every week that includes both my podcast and my blog post for the week and other news, but I keep it to a weekly newsletter. That's it, I promise. It's an easy way to keep in touch with me. I'm over on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. Twitter, I'm not so wild about, but I am there. (laughs) And I have a Facebook closed group facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. You do have to answer the questions if you want to be a member, because I use those answers to at least guide me toward who to include and who might not be a great fit for the group. But it's a very inclusive, diverse group of people. I promise you that. So thank you for being here. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.